UFC 259 had its day in the sun, but now it's waiting on ice. I'm Tommy from MMA On Point. Let's thaw it out and crack it open to figure out what happened. UFC 259, which had a fan attendance of two, saw 15 fights with five KOTKOs, three submissions, six decisions, five UD, one split, and a DQ I'm not talking about ice cream. Jan Bojovic became the second fighter to thwart a successful UFC double champ attempt in his decision win over Israel Adesanya, Stylebender's light heavyweight debut and first career loss. The Polish champion is the first opponent to ever outland Izzy in a fight. It was also the most significant strikes Jan has ever landed in a single bout with 107. Amanda Nunes extended her current win streak to 12 and her her first round defeat of Megan Anderson. This was Nunez's ninth title victory that ties her with Matt Hughes, and this was the eighth bout since her strike force run, where her opponent landed three or less significant strikes, earning her our untouchable award. Aljamain Sterling and Pyotr Jan made history when a UFC title changed hands via disqualification during a fight for the first time. Both fighters attempted more takedowns than in any other bout in their career, but Pyotr landed all seven of his, with Aljo going one for 17. Islam Makachev extended his lightweight win streak to seven in his victory over Drew Dober with a strikes landed per minute average of 2.10, earning him our Energy Star Award for efficiency getting the job done. Alexander Rakic was outstruck by Thiago Santos, marking the first such instance in his career, but he won the decision anyway. And one final notable, Dominic Cruz competed in a non-title bout for the first time since 2014 in his win over Casey Kenny. but the stats can only tell us so much. Let's dive deeper. Hey, what is up, everyone? Welcome to the MMA On Point Autopsy. This is the live edition. Um, for most people, they'll be watching this on the MMA On Point live channel, but everyone, welcome to watching the live version. This is also available on Spotify. It's on uh, Apple Music, all those different platforms, or Apple Podcasts, rather. So let's jump right into the first segment of the day. We've got what we have is our interview segments, what everyone had to say about what happened after the fight. So one of our first topics is what's going on with the main event about how both men really dared to be great in this way for defending the title and also for trying to regain a second title in Izzy's case. So I say we jump right into the comments here of what Jan had to say here, so go ahead and roll that. I told before the fight that, you know, I plan to knock him out, you know, in the second round, but, you know, he's a great fighter, good fighter, so one of the toughest opponents in my life, you know, in this shape what I have, because I have a really good shape, and it was a really tough fight, you know, so yeah, he, he still is one of the best in the world, you know, it was a pleasure for me that I can fight against someone like him, so thank you for the fight, uh, Israel. So he didn't necessarily have a ton to say about what was going on with um, his next fight, but he did mention Glover, and it looks like that will be the next thing. But those were his major comments. A lot of respect towards Izzy. On this next one, it's Izzy's response. What does he think is going to happen now that he's lost? So let's go ahead and play that. I felt like I had a great show for myself. I represented my team very well. But now we, we go back to the drawing board, and this is the dip in my story. You know what I mean? This is the bit where, you know, the valley, if you will. And then I rise up again like the phoenix that I am. You know, if you want to hop off the hype train, bro, get the fuck off the hype train. We're just stopping for a little gas. Understand? You can get the fuck off. But if you want to stick with me, stick with me. And beyond that, so it wasn't just that, but he also has a message that he is giving out to the 205ers and 185ers out there. So he's not done with 205, it looks like. Go ahead. Oh, definitely. You'll see me back at 205 later in the future. But right now, I go to the division, I go to dominate. And I know they're going to be thinking, oh, that's it. You just got to take them down. But I'll remind them again why I'm the king at 185. But who's the most deserving? We'll have to wait and see. Um, show me something. 
Yeah, so not still quite sure who we're going to see next. So that'll be interesting to see who's up next for the title at 185 when he goes back down. And then Dana had his own thoughts on it, particularly scoring, which I, I tend to agree with here. So let's play that. Yeah, I lost the fight to the better fighter tonight, um, the craftier fighter tonight. If I was going to lose to anyone, you know, what better guy to lose to than a guy like Jan, a classy champion, um, a cool dude, a very nice guy, a guy who has a great story in himself, you know. Tonight, I lost to a great champion, a guy, a, a deserving guy as well. Yeah, so I got my quotes mixed up there. So that was um, that was Izzy right there giving his thoughts on that. So, um, yeah, so now it's the Dana quote. I got a little ahead of this here. So These guys are giving out 10-8 rounds like fucking. The, the, there were two rounds in that fight. When I came up in the fight business, a 10-8 was an ass whooping. You got your ass whooped. You never, you can never hurt somebody for, for thinking big and, and, and trying to become great. Jan is the man. He, he is the, the 205 pound champ, and now he starts taking on all comers in that weight division. I love that quote because I mean, 10 eights, yeah, there shouldn't have been any 10 eights in that fight. So, yeah, then moving it on, um, we've got Nunez here talking about what's next. Is she still wanting to stay at 145? Is that division even going to stick around? So let's go and play that clip. It seems like your most dominant wins are coming at 145 pounds. Do you feel more comfortable at 145 than 135? Yeah, definitely. More powerful. I feel really comfortable in this weight class. Yeah, so it looks like she is totally fine with sticking around and defending there. We have no idea who she's going to fight next. Uh, it's a couple of years off for somebody like Kayla Harrison or any of those contenders out there and other organizations. And then, yeah, so um, what about 135? Juliana Pena seemed like she was interested. This was her reaction to that. So Holly's off, so she can fight Jermaine. I'm going <laughs> to go see my diet because now I'm pretty heavy. I don't know. We, we never know. So, but uh, I'm going to face it no matter what or who the white one I face, I, I will. Yeah, she literally shrugged that off. She's like, she can fight Jermaine. So, uh, yeah, that was her reaction to the idea of fighting Juliana Pena. So, we still don't know who she's going to fight at 135. So, no real questions answered there. But incredible performance. And uh, Dana seems to agree here with this next clip. She's incredible. She's incredible. And uh, she goes in there and she made it look easy tonight. Um, against a really tough girl who hits hard and couldn't happen to a better human being. She's one of the sweetest people on earth, and uh, I'm really happy for her. And yeah, and he also did mention that he was interested in the Juliana, uh, Juliana Pena fight. But uh, beyond that, moving on to the third title fight, the most controversial one in terms of how things turned out, um, what was Jan's response to what happened and the disqualification? What was his response? So Before the that. fight, the referee was paying a lot of attention about the hand positions when the fighter is grounded or not. So I was just too focused on his hands, even forgot about his uh, uh, legs. So obviously I didn't, I didn't mean to do an illegal shot. Yeah, so uh, he owns up to that. And uh, what does he think about Aljo now in the aftermath? <coughs> what is the vibe like? This is what he had to say about that. Uh, it sucks. You know, I think him... As a fighter, he also don't want to accept the belt this way. And if he's going to be healthy, I hope we're going to have a rematch soon. He, uh, he doesn't want to win the belt this way, and it's not prestigious to win the belt of the best organization in that way. I'm happy to see him throw some respect towards uh, Aljo after that because obviously uh, a lot of 135ers were not uh, quite as charitable towards Aljo afterwards. 
And uh, then what, what did Dana think about the whole thing? I think he says it in a pretty concise fashion. Yeah, it sucked. It was a good fight. I mean, that was a fight that everybody was excited about tonight. Everybody knew it was going to be good. And, uh, well, that's, that's a bad one. Great. Yeah, so just moving right along here. Hard to disagree with that. It just kind of sucked how that thing went down. Uh, so let's go ahead and jump into the social media with PT here. Why don't you go ahead and take it away for us? What's up, PT? What's up, guys? Yeah, we're going to take a look at the biggest reactions online for UFC 259. So hit me, Lot. What we got here, buddy? Ah, it's Stephen Wonderboy Thompson. What did he have to say? <laughs> you should never have to ask your corner the rules mid-fight. Obviously aimed at Jan's uh, knee incident against Sterling. Can't really argue with that one, Stephen, I must say. What, what else do we have? McMally, our very own McMally, the legend himself. MMA on points finest. Turns out that Polish power isn't the way to beat Israel Adesanya. It's Polish patience. Ooh, beautiful alliteration, McMally. What a man. What a man. And I cannot see this man's name, unfortunately. Yeah, but, I think uh, it says like Mitesh. I think that's his first name. It's unpronounceable otherwise, but yeah. <laughs> a beautiful name, nonetheless. He says, Pyotr Jan's corner before the illegal knee. And it is a picture of the Cobra Kai gang. Very good, Mitesh. I applaud you, sir. And Teddy Atlas, the great boxing coach, now podcaster. Uh, yeah. Great job by Bohovic, and also great credit to the smaller man's challenge. Respect to both. Couldn't agree more. I hope it's a star-making moment for Jan, and hats off to Israel for giving us some cool stuff in MMA. Can't argue with that. Yeah, and now John... I was just going to say, it's Bones good to see Teddy Atlas jumping in and talking about grappling and things like that now, too. Like, real boxing people, guys that used to train Tyson. Just want to add that in there, but go ahead. Yes, absolutely. And John Bones Jones, of course, rival of Israel Adesanya. If you ever wrote me talking shit about Izzy beating me, slap yourself. Yes, he did have quite the victory lap on the back of Israel Adesanya's first loss. <laughs> <laughs> and Jordan Breen, the great MMA media uh, member. The real story of UFC 259 is that it's in your best interest to just not fight anyone who recently had a kid. Ganu and Ortega should be looking into investigating the quickest adoptions they can get finalized in three weeks. Obviously, pointing towards Amanda Nunes and Jan Blahovich, who both looked fantastic last night. So I agree with Jordan there, too, I have to say. <laughs> yeah, a um, lot of really great takes there. I love Stephen Thompson's take there in particular, talking about, like, you should probably know the rules by now, especially as a, you know, a champion, a title fighter, everything like that. But, um yeah, so I, I guess we'll move it on to this next section here. So what we, I guess if we're going to put our thoughts together, because what we've essentially done is we put the information out there. We let you guys know what it is. We got the stats from Tommy there. We got everything kind of going on in both directions. So now it's just kind of like, what's our analysis of everything? What did we think? What did you think, PT? What did Lawton think? We're going to put you on the spot, Lawton. No, I'm just kidding. He would hate that. He's running everything in the, the behind the scenes here. He'd be like, no. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I think I'll take this one. So we're going to do like a minute timer on this, do a quick take. We'll be jumping into a live chat here in a bit for the extras channel. If anybody wants to see that on the main channel, of course, they won't see that. We'll do an edited version without that. But it will also be on the podcast version for people that do want to listen to that and are watching just the main version are interested in more of our long-form takes on this kind of thing. So, uh, yeah, let's jump right on there. Just let me know uh, when that timer gets going. Yep, Jason, so you, we'll start your minute. I have minute. no idea what I'm going to say. We'll start your one minute on your thoughts of 259 starting now. 
Yeah, so when you look at what happened at light heavyweight, I think that we saw greatness in either direction. You know, that was one of our major topics of daring to be great with both of these guys. And I think Izzy was great. He went up to a guy that's been starching everybody in the first or second round, and he lasted five rounds. I think that's incredible. You look at the co-main event, who's even out there for Amanda Nunes? Kayla Harrison is a couple of years away at best. I honestly don't know. And she's saying like she wants to sit back and wait. I think that's the right choice. And then for the Aljo and Peter Jan, it's unfortunate. It sucks, but it was an illegal knee and it is on the person throwing the illegal knee. You have to penalize that person because that was a TKO level knee. So I do agree with it. I know a lot of fans disagree with it, but my personal take, what do you do? You don't let something like that slide. Everybody hated it when GDR hit home multiple times. They should have taken the point away. She should have been disqualified, something like that. This was the right call. And uh, yeah, so that is my take there. (laughs) Try to condense it up, man. It's uh, it's actually pretty fun to do, and of course we'll get into this more with the chat and everything. But uh, cool. yeah, PT, are you ready for your very clear, concise, not rushed thoughts for your minute? <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> All right, man, you got one minute. Thoughts on two fifty nine starting now. I really hope that this can be a star making moment for Jan Blahovic. He's really endeared himself to the fan base over the course of this fight week, and I feel like he fought really, really well. He wasn't only matching Israel in the striking exchanges, but he knew how to change the dynamic, take him down. But we also need to give Israel Adesanya a huge amount of credit here. I love cool things in this sport. And him moving up to a new weight class to challenge the champion was really, really cool. If absolutely nothing else, it was really cool. And he made a really good contest of it. So I think we should celebrate that and celebrate the fact that we got to see that. Also, Amanda Nunes... I think she's she's saying that she wants to stay at 45. She prepares being there. That's a good thing for the, the life of that division, I suppose. But I think the best thing about it is she's happy and she's got rid of the retirement question. So now we get to see a happy, dominant champion. For Jan, it's very unfortunate. Uh, terrible end to the fight. But it wouldn't be the way Aljo chose to be the champion either. I think the problem is everybody now knows that the guy that's holding the belt isn't probably the better fighter of the two. Mm. That's the one really unfortunate thing about this. Sorry, Wendell. No, that's great. great. So um, what we're about to do is we're about to throw it to Tommy for his analysis on this. And then we're going to jump into a live form discussion. So again, that is just for the Extras channel, which this is streaming on now. And you'll also see it on the podcast. So if anybody wants to hear the long-form discussion of this, we heard you guys loud and clear in the main channel. You want short and sweet. So that's what we're going to edit this up for you guys. Just a quick 13, 15-minute video. So real quick, let's go ahead and queue up Tommy Toehold's final take on this. Now that we've thoroughly examined this card, it's time for a final analysis. Israel Adesanya's decision to fight a champion that easily outweighed him by 20 pounds will be seen by many as a foolish endeavor. But as they say, nothing ventured, nothing gained. Yes, it would have been safer to stay at middleweight, but since day one, Adesanya's played things as big as possible, and that means taking big chances. Perhaps we put too much emphasis on perfection in mixed martial arts. The man that just defeated Izzy lost four of his first six in the UFC. Amanda Nunes, the inarguable greatest female fighter ever, was TKO'd by Katz Ngano in 2014. Piotr Jan heads home this weekend with no world title. 
You can call it what you want, but that's what it is. Mixed martial arts is messy and complicated. If a fighter competes long enough and they're bold enough, they're going to taste defeat. And while it's very easy to enjoy the pie in the face of Adesanya, just like it was with Ben Askren or Daniel Cormier even, it's those fighters that are willing to take the risks that make this sport so intriguing. So instead of focusing so much on the failure of the best fighters in the world, maybe we can come to better appreciate that they dared to be great. Yeah, and so that right there is where the video ends for the people on the main channel, but we are here on the extras channel for the people that want that little bit of extra. We are here to uh, kind of dive into this a little bit deeper. So if you guys got any questions, anything like that at all, go ahead and start shouting it out. Of course, we'll have the condensed version for the people that want that. But uh, this is all about you guys and all about interactivity and hanging out and really dissecting this thing. Because I think for me, after fights, there's like that... There's that come down period. There's that aftermath period where I kind of just want to talk about everything. And it's really good to talk about it with the chat. And of course, with you here, Pizzi. So yeah, um, I guess my biggest thing. So the the thing, I think we kind of have to start with that knee, man. We have to start with that knee. And you already put some of your thoughts into it. But like, here's the thing straight away. This is what everybody keeps saying. Was he faking and flopping or was it really enough to end the fight? What do you think? I don't think it matters when the most impactful fight of the fight uh, of the whole thing is illegal. Mm. Like, I mean, look at the replay. He lands a clean knee on Aljamain's forehead. Um, Aljamain looks very rattled afterwards. Like whatever you think of his reaction, that was the most impactful uh, shot landed in the fight. So it was going to change uh, the dynamic of the fight somewhat anyway. I mean, I did feel as though Piotr Jan was clearly winning the fight. I'm surprised by the judges scorecards. But you've left the officials with no other choice there in that situation. Um, I think it's strange because Piotr is so disciplined in the way he fights. Even look at the way he holds his guard. Everything is so precision, so meticulous. And then in this moment, you see him holding the head and you hear people saying, just punch, just punch. And then he looks to the corner and says something and then he delivers the knee. Mm. And later Habib says he asked the corner and the corner told him to do it. Um I understand. I see everybody saying, you should know the rules. He obviously knows the rules. That's why he checked with his corner. But the problem is there, the communication there, whether they were communicating what he thought or did he hear it the wrong way or did they, in fact, give him the wrong advice, that's something for Piotr and his team to sort out. Um, you, you can't complain with the stoppage, though. It's just unfortunate that Piotr seemed to be completely dominating proceedings up until that point. Yeah, th that's the part that sucks about it. And I think you summed it up really well in your analysis there. He definitely was the person winning the fight. And you do feel like the lesser fighter is the one that walked away with the belt. And that's that's what really sucks about it. But what would we be saying? You know, so for those of you that are really, really against this idea, what would you be saying if you punched him before the bell? It's the same thing. You know, if you knee somebody while their knee is down, that's a downed opponent by every measure. Whether it's intentional or not, it wasn't intentional. I think everybody can see that. I think everybody realizes that. It's just an unfortunate situation, and you do have to penalize major, major fouls. In my opinion, it was a TKO-level knee. Like, when I see that, and I've seen that replay, I think, about a million times already by now, it's just like, that was a hard knee. And, of course, you're Piotr Jan. You're a killer. What are you going to do? A pitter-patter knee? <laughs> like, oh, I guess I'll just do a soft knee. No, he went for it because he thought he had a legit opportunity. You know, it just... It just happens, man. It just happens. And so we'll get that rematch. We'll get a chance to run it back. And 
I am really interested. So Bob Lobla uh, said this in the chat, and it's totally fine. Criticize the format as much as you want because we're trying to grow it and trying to make it different. He said this autopsy format sucks. So, like, the way we were doing it before, so I'm totally happy to answer any of those questions as well. We, The way we were doing it before, we were getting out on Tuesday. The way we're doing it today, the full edited version will be up as a result of us doing this in this live format, which allows us to do it without having to sit down, write, record, edit, chop everything up. It allows us to get it up today. So if we keep with the original format, it goes up on Tuesdays. We go with this format, it goes up on the main channel, edited down the day of. So, I mean, you guys can tell me you still dislike it, which is fair, but that's the idea. So you guys can kind of let us know on that one. Dave Sandine thanks says, love the life guys. format. Yeah, thanks for all the support. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I was thinking, PT. I was like, oh, thanks, guys. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, I, I've, I've really got no ego about it, though. It's like, what can we do to make the best format? Because at the end of the day, you know, it's like, yeah, no, it, not expecting somebody to watch this out of charity. I want them to enjoy it, you know. Um, Dave Sandine says he loves the life format, so I appreciate that. As long as they talk about the commentary, I'm happy. So, actually, no. Like, did you... So, you might actually have more of an experience here. So, we did a fight companion last night. So, it was me, Balian, and Mac Malley, along with Lawton here running everything in background. Shout out to Lawton for coming over here after, like, four hours after our last stream to come and get set up, and which means only about two it's hours almost sleep nap time, ladies and gentlemen. It's it's almost, almost nap, nap time. time. We're, we're getting there. <laughs> so when we watched it, of course, we were doing a fight companion. So we were not able to hear any of the commentary. And I've heard quite a bit of those comments. Mm-hmm. Um, what is your take about the commentary? Because you were, you know, you weren't running a fight companion or anything, PT. Was, was the fight, you know, commentary that bad? I... I... I shudder when I see uh, media members online uh, complaining all the time about commentary. But um, I did notice, say, going into the third round, um, I thought Jan had won the second. And I just felt as though they weren't highlighting what he was doing enough. Like, But mm. I feel like the first round, they were kind of setting the table, right? Like they were explaining about Izzy, how, like why he's so special, why this is a, a special thing that he's doing, which I feel is fine. And he, and he looked great in the first round. I felt Jan came back into it in the second round. From what the, the commentary team were saying, it seemed as though, you know, Izzy was kind of um, completely uh, dominating the fight. And then we hit the fifth round, and then they're kind of like, Carmier brings it up, actually. Uh, he was the one who went out of his way to say, he was like, this could be 2-2 now. And mm-hmm. that was the first iteration of me going like, Jan, like if I was just listening to the commentary, that was the first time that was really confirming to me that, yes, Jan is still in this fight. Mm. Um, you know, he can claim this fight in the last round. So I do understand people's frustrations. Um, but I really detest seeing people online talking about people losing their jobs and stuff. And I saw that again with mm. the Jan Nee thing by him talking to his corner. Like, this is a frantic, electrifying situation everybody's involved in here. It's split second decisions. Um, and obviously, it was a mistake. But um, if we all went around trying to get our jobs taken off each other, it wouldn't be a very nice world to live in. So I'm not going <laughs> to that extreme. I did notice it, though. I understand what people are criticizing. Yeah, um, yeah I'm, I'm still hearing it after the fact. I've never, I've not actually heard much of it, but it just sounds like um, quite a few fans. I mean, it's, it's also just possible to just disagree. I have seen this, though, in the past, you know, so like I'll go specific with it. So like I remember the Uzdemir Reyes fight. 
I remember during that fight specifically, there was so much conversation. And even, you know, I mentioned this last night, there was even that during the Izzy Vittori fight. There's so much conversation about narrative rather than what was actually happening in both of those fights. In the Uzdemir Reyes fight, it was so much about how tired Reyes was. Meanwhile, he was scoring. And they were talking about how tired he was. It's like, no, he's actually going through. And this was not Rogan. This was a separate commentary team. Uh, I believe that was Dan Hardy and John Gooden. Maybe it was Paul Felder with him. I don't know. But it, I think it happens all the time where people, it's like you're focusing on different things. And I can see where they're coming from. I don't think it's because they're just like horrible commentators. You know, it's not like that. And in the case of the Vittori one, uh, that was obviously John Anik, and I'm not sure who was along with that, but I mean, it, I, everybody's susceptible to it, I think, to have a different perspective that most people disagree with, and therefore people cry, cry bias, you know, I think that's an easy thing to jump towards, because you, you feel so strongly that you're seeing it one way. The Vittori fight, I scored one round for Vittori, but so much was being said in that easy fight about his technique and the things he was doing, it sounds like especially with last night, it was a very similar thing in the on fight. That's a lot of the criticism that I'm hearing, but I didn't hear firsthand. So yeah, that's that tends to be my take on that one. I think it can kind of go either way and it, it, it does happen, but I don't think it's intentional. I don't think it's like they're, <laughs> they're just like, oh, I love Izzy. I don't, I don't think that's what's happening. I think they're I think seeing it, something it actually, different. I think it happens because one of the commentators is usually zooming in, zooming in on one thing in particular, and then they both start talking about that, and mm. that overshadows the fact that there's another guy in there. Mm. Last night, I think the thing they were really uh, highlighting an awful lot of was um, how much Jan was biting on uh, Israel's feints. And regardless of what round we're talking about, he did that throughout the whole fight. And that indication when someone is, is reacting to every feint you throw, it, it looks like um, you know, you're very cautious, for a guy who's supposed to be the heavier guy, I think that's what they were talking about. Um, but yeah, I think they could have definitely, you know, um, highlighted a bit of Jan's better work throughout the fight. You know, I think I think that's what um, that's what people's problems are. But yeah. I, like in my head, like I'm listening to the commentary and I'm still scoring it myself. Like I wasn't, I didn't wasn't going to the round five going Izzy's won every round. You yeah. know, like that wasn't. So it doesn't really make a difference to me. You know, this is an accompaniment to the entertainment as far as I'm concerned. Um, I, I've just, I've never put so much weight on it the way people seem to on, online. I do understand the frustration too, though, because you're, you feel like you're seeing something and you feel like something isn't being addressed. And you're like, if there was just like a mild counterweight, a mild counterweight yeah. in terms of perspective of someone kind of pushing back. And I think that happens all the time. You know, you tend to get in groups and someone points out something and everyone starts looking yeah. at that thing, which is exactly what you were just breaking down. So, I mean, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's not, uh, I mean, I feel like I get things wrong on fight campaigns for sure. <laughs> no way. <laughs> no Absolutely way, not. dude. Impossible. Uh, let me read what everyone's saying. Also, that excuse for Rogan has been commentating for how long now? And it's unfair to criticize his commentary question mark he completely construes the fight i'm actually not sure what side you're taking there respect is who's in the chat here i'm not actually sure what side you're actually taking there on that one also that it's kind of like the dana white thing right like with, with, with joe rogan people like are very negative on them and they forget the positive that he has done for the sport like mm -hmm. i mean rogan rogan's podcast whether you like it or not has really uh 
a, really been a, a huge tool for the UFC and MMA to be popularized, whether you like the guy or you don't. And uh, the fact that he's having these conversations about the sport all the time and giving for it as a platform is a huge deal. Mm. Like, I mean, you don't, you, Spotify don't buy the dude's podcast for a hundred million because it doesn't have an audience. Um, I understand that people <laughs> get frustrated with his with his commentary, but I, I think it's I, I think sometimes they completely forget how much he has done for MMA and particularly the UFC. Man, if Spotify is doling out a hundred million for not having an audience, we better get on the phone with him. Um, <laughs> <laughs> let's get that hooked up. I was surprised that Izzy was classy in defeat. He was cocky in victory. It's refreshing and respectable. Yeah, so um, he definitely is, like, especially in the Paulo Costa case where there was a lot of bl- bad blood, you know. But he was respectful against Anderson Silva. We've seen him respectful in victory before. Um, I think he liked Jan. I think that's a, a big part of it. You know, if you just really dislike somebody like Paulo Costa, uh, who you just been going at it so long, back and forth for years and years and years, some people that doesn't immediately get better. You know, we got Paul Daly punching Josh Koscheck after the fight. You know, it's like it doesn't always get better right afterwards. And um, you know, I I'm the type of person where I like to see that sportsmanship. I really enjoyed seeing the two just be totally cool. I loved seeing, you know, speaking of kids, the same thing was happening with Amanda Nunes and Megan Anderson, where you know she held up her baby and Megan walked right up there, and it was just like. Yeah, they're they're human beings. I really like to see it. You know, it's like uh, they're competitors. They're not just, I don't know. I, I just love seeing that sportsmanship. I'm a fan of it, a hundred percent. So, uh, let's see what everyone else has to say in the chat. Rogan is casual though. That's his appeal to casuals, dude. Confirmed SK. Rogan is a casual. Under what respect could you ever call that guy casual? Got at least two black belts. Um, yeah, I mean he knows. I mean he was there really in, in for the foundational years of uh, MMA in California, which is a huge hub, obviously, for the sport. All the Brazilians moved there, like Hickson, like Machado, Carlson Gracie, and he's on the mats with those guys. Yeah, so, I mean, I think casuals a bit of a stretch. Yeah, I love yeah. calling people casuals. I love it. <laughs> it's the best thing ever. Nashville Brawl is the best sportsmanship, says confirmed SK. Well, there you go. Yeah. Um, I didn't get to go to that one, dude. I didn't have, uh, it was like back in the day where it's just like I was just watching fights by myself and I was like, I'm not going to go there by myself. And uh, <laughs> man, do I regret that. Rogan gets hyped over big actions that don't actually connect. Well, I think part of it too, you know, if I can give some credit there, is that sometimes he's seeing it from cage side which can be obscured but i mean yeah i we've definitely seen that you know so like the habib michael johnson moment like did michael johnson really rock him that badly as badly as rogan was reacting yeah so definitely not here to defend everything about the guy by all means but um i just think it has to be in balance um i'm curious to ask the chat so let me ask you this and also ask the chat simultaneously and i'm already starting to see some answers which I think would be really fun. What was the thing about the card that really stood out to you that wasn't uh, the marquee? And uh, you had talked about Dober versus Islam as being one of the fights uh, that you really were looking forward to. But uh, yeah, what, what in the aftermath, of the whole card, what kind of stands out to you as one of the lasting memories um, outside of the three title fights? You said it there. Um, 
I feel like Islam has finally given us that statement that underlines all the promise that AKA like Cormier, Habib, uh, Habib's late father had all said about Islam. I was waiting for that performance for a long time. I didn't get it against Dabi Ramos when I went to Abu Dhabi to see Habib v. Poirier, but I felt like that was very masterful, completely in control. His grappling, as we knew, um, was fantastic, but it looked really next level this time around. And the submission as well, just smothering, um, completely hyped about Makashev. And who knows, maybe Tony Ferguson would be interested in that fight. You might think, if I beat Islam, maybe I can lure Habib out of retirement. So, Ooh. I mean, you know, I'm sure Tony can see some positives in that matchup in terms of uh, Islam's proximity to Habib. I also think um, for Ulberg and Kennedy, their fight was absolute mm. mad. Um, people criticized me for using this word too much the last time we did an autopsy, but I think I'm safe to say that that fight was absolutely outrageous and I won't <laughs> forget it for a long time. Wow, that's outrageous. Uh, dude, so incredible. Yeah, uh, yeah, I, I really like, so some people are mentioning Kai Car France. Like, dude, when I when never I see, yeah, never heard of him. When when you see a knockout like that coming out of nowhere, where he was basically you know like losing the fight, getting controlled on the ground, was it Bonter and uh, was basically controlling him on the ground, and he just lands a couple shots that just kill the guy. Um, it makes you think of Brandon Royville, how he just ate those shots that were perfectly timed counters to leg kicks perfectly timed he ate two of them the first one was really big and then brandon rovo comes back it makes me think of the chin on that guy because you see how hard kaikara france hits so that that was a really big one for me sean brady that was one of my big ones oh yeah and that was well, a that was a bit of a war for the first round you know as it started out at least and then sean brady just took over you know um really happy to see that yeah so thick um his physique <laughs> like i mean it's just it's like a grappler's physique right if he gets on top of you you are goosed you aren't getting out of there at all Dude, he looks like a, he's like a fire hydrant he's as wide as he is tall um i'd say he is a nightmare to grapple with honestly like uh, I, I honestly felt sorry for jake matthews when he was underneath that dude and just like i mean as a guy i, I used to train jiu-jitsu back in the years and years ago but it's rare when you can identify a guy's game like it's not rare but it, it's few and far between that guillotine game i know he didn't get it last night but it was really a joy to watch mm. how he works that one arm how he's using his lat to to block off the other side of the neck i thought that was fantastic and and the, i think the thing that really sticks out about brady is he's methodical he's composed he doesn't take risks if he doesn't need to take risks and that's all championship stuff when you look at that yeah. and you see a guy doing that at 14 and 0 you're thinking this guy is a huge huge future yeah i i felt like a lot of people were talking about him before the fight a lot of you know media people a lot of fans were really starting talking about him before the fight um and i feel like that's only going to to rise up now we're really going to start he's hearing irish. a whole lot more about him he's he's what he's irish he's from oh Ireland. he's irish uh, Brady, we've decided, yeah, we, I interviewed him a while ago and he said he did have some links to Ireland, but we've decided to push the passport through last night after the victory. <laughs> it was either Jake, we were going to give it to Jake if he won because he's the Celtic kid as well, but Sean Brady won, so he has got our citizenship now. We've taken him off you, so um, yeah, can't wait for his future. Damn it. Just when we yeah. were getting somebody That's good. That's how it works, man. 
Yeah, I, I kind of had this realization that because I think there is this perception that, you know, maybe the reason why the sport is big in America is because, you know, there are a lot of American stars. And I realized it's like, no, there was only one champion on that card, or he is now, Aljo's a champion. He was the only guy in the title fight that was actually an American. And it was just kind of making me think about that with you mentioning the, the Irish thing. But, uh, and I was just as high for it. As soon as I realized that, I was like, well, I don't care. It is pretty interesting to think about that it's gotten to that point where it's like, I think in the beginning it probably mattered. You know, I remember when Don Fry was wearing his, you know, American flag shorts to Pride, and you were like, yeah, going out there to Japan, you represent USA. Maybe that's just a young version of me. But um, now it's just like, oh, I don't, yeah, I don't care. I, I just love seeing all, like, the amalgamation of talent from all over the planet. I love that. Let me see whatever. You can say what you want, Jay, but it's really Europeans stealing the headlines again. So you just have to take that whatever way you want to take it because Jan Blachowicz <laughs> and Piotr Jan are the two big stories coming out of UFC 259. So sorry, America. <laughs> Apologize. No love for Brazil then, I guess, right? No, never heard of it. Never heard of it. <laughs> um, let's see. Let, let me see what people were calling out. Amanda Nunes, baby. Uh, was really hoping to see a little bit more about the undercard. I might just be that far caught up. How about Carcar France? So, yeah, we talked about them. Kevin Lee versus Makachev. Uh, I like the Tony Ferguson one so much more for some reason. They keep them separate. It's two new faces to bring into the title mix. Well, I know Kevin has obviously fought for the, the interim title before, but these guys are two bright prospects, essentially, in the, in the championship mix. So keep them separate, and um, let's keep – all this new energy coming into the top of that division because I think it's immense at the moment. Um, my message about Kennedy, I don't actually know how to say his name because I thought I knew how to say it until I heard the commentary last night. I was like, oh, it's just way off. I want to say Nchukwu. Yeah. That's how I want to say it, but I, I, it's really far off. I, I need to hear it a few more times. Um, but uh, somebody said their message got deleted when they put it up there. Yeah, uh, sometimes the filters just totally misunderstand uh, some of those last names, but probably YouTube not liking his name. Yeah, I would say that's it. Um, Peter's mic cover reminds me of Aljo. <laughs> it's like he doesn't have a fro, so I don't see how that would remind you of him. Polish patience. Yes, there we go. There's the shout out to Mac Malley and his tweet there. Well, so let me ask you this then. When we look at Amanda Nunes. So we kind of briefly talked about this earlier on. What do you do with her now? Like 145, I mean, short of Cyborg coming back, which we know is not going to happen at this point. There's just no way. Uh, Julia Budd signing over. Kayla Harrison coming over in 20, you know, 2022 because she's got a full PFL season ahead of her. What's even next there? And then she didn't seem interested in Payne yet at 135. What do you do with it? I mean, the UFC, that's that's their jobs as promoters. And it's very difficult because, Great let's be game. honest. <laughs> no, but I feel, like, I feel like last night, I saw a lot of people getting high on, on Megan Anderson before the fight. But I didn't see any other situation yeah. outside of Amanda throwing her in, in the opening rounds, either one or two. She did it in one in the end, looked at our best. But... Like, if, if that's the best offering we could have at 145, they've got a serious, serious problem on their hands. And it doesn't go away if you just bring in, um, 
you know, Kayla Harrison because that's one fight. Like the, it, the problem here is the absence of a division. It's it's a division that doesn't have a lot of fighters. We don't have people who are excited in outside of Amanda Nunes. But Amanda Nunes clearly wants to fight at 145. But I think I think if there's one takeaway we should have about Amanda Nunes from this fight is there was so much talk about retirement, etc. It almost felt like we were hoping it, you know, as just as a storyline, we wanted to see what how the UFC would negotiate it. The real thing I'm buzzing about is the fact that she seems so happy mm. um, as a mother. She seems to be in the happiest place she's ever been, and she still fights like that. Mm. Like, I am just so excited for us to keep seeing Amanda Nunes fighting, the greatest female fighter of all time. And, and it's really up to the UFC to somehow make us interested in 145. Because I haven't been, I continued not. I continue not to be. All I want to do is watch Amanda Nunes, and that eventually will dry up. Look at Clarissa Shields moving over from boxing. The problem there is they can't make captivating matchups. Mm. You need to be able to make captivating matchups to keep a division alive. So despite Amanda Nunes defending and looking so brilliant, the 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 division still needs a lot of stimulus. Do you uh, do you like the Shevchenko fight? If uh, I mean Shevchenko's no. got you know another fight votes but uh no Doesn't i don't like it you. because I mean, what are we doing like you're gonna put this is the third time it's not like izzy goes up to fight yan uh, we all were genuinely intrigued as to what could happen there like amanda nunez looked huge at 145 and we're gonna put our 125 champion who doesn't cut an awful lot of weight in against her she's already lost twice the only thing that happens really is devaluing valentina there mm. like three three losses to Amanda Nunes. It's just further underlining Nunes as the greatest of all time. Um, you know, what happened? Like, I mean, I feel like it's nearly, we're tarnishing Valentina's legacy for no apparent reason, you know, to, if we just keep doing that fight. I know she thinks she could win. She came close to win the second time, but if that's all we have, I don't think that's a that's a great situation to be in. Yeah, it's tough. I'm, I'm still into the fight, so I'll say that. <laughs> Uh, just because of how close those fights were, especially if she buzzsaws through Andrade, you know, Andrade, um, you know, has always looked great. And she even looked great in the last Rose fight that she lost when it got to that third round. If Shevchenko can just make easy work of her, then it's just like, I mean, it's, it's almost like a default thing for me. It's just like, well, who do you put them up against? Zhang V. Um, Shevchenko makes more sense me than doing Nunes and Shevchenko again you could definitely do that but Zhang's got to fight Rose now and she might lose there I mean you could say Rose versus um uh, Valentina if that happens yeah e either of those I just I just feel like we've we've done Amanda and Shevchenko to death and I feel like hmm. it just results very badly for Valentina if she goes in and loses again and I don't know what Amanda gains from it yeah yeah it's interesting stuff. Well, then, uh, so let's talk a little bit more about that main event then. So what would you do with Izzy now? Who, who do you um, think? It's tough. Like, and I'm seeing, like, look, big Darren Till fan. I think he's a great character. Um, I think he's a really, really good fighter. And I said on this show, the live chat a few months ago, that I think he gives Izzy probably the best challenge just based on styles, mm. uh, the, the style matchup in that regard. Um I think he gives him a really good fight in terms of the whole middleweight division, but I still don't think you can put him in there if he beats Vittori. Like it's just a one fight win streak. Yeah. I mean I, I feel like um I think Izzy will be hoping that Vittori 
beats Till. So he has a fresh challenge. I know they fought before, but Izzy wasn't the, the champion at that stage. Um, so I think that's probably the most interesting thing that could happen. It's just unfortunate for Whittaker and Paolo Costa because having talked to some of Izzy's team ahead of this fight week, like they're completely uninterested in those fights. It's like mm. Conor McGregor fighting Jose Aldo again. Why would you fight him again after KOing him in 13 seconds? The same way as I said about Amanda V. Shevchenko. What do you gain from this situation? Yeah, yeah. Well, um, I guess there is, um, yeah, Whitaker and uh, Costa, yeah. I feel like that's what most people are pointing towards. I think I'm more inclined to want to see it if Robert Whitaker wins. Costa, mm. oh, man. That'd be really rough to see Costa right back in there. I know, you know, he he could... He could do something incredible out there, but I still probably wouldn't want to see. Even if he just knocked out, just mauled Robert Whitaker in the first round, I probably still wouldn't want to see that one. But if Whitaker he, wins he in impressive well. fashion, I think I could get behind that. He, like Costa, like Whitaker definitely deserves it. Like, the, like I, I feel like if you're picking the best contender, if you're asking me who is the best contender at middleweight, it's Robert Whitaker, without a doubt, right mm-hmm. now. Um, and if he beats Costa further on the lines, that, but. I was talking to Eugene Berman ahead of this Jan Blachowicz fight, and he said he absolutely would never fight him again after that wine comment. He said, like, if if the performance <laughs> itself, a one-sided beatdown wasn't enough, he said, that's the straw that breaks the camel's back. Mm. It's just ridiculous. Why would the UFC, like, he needs to come out and t- say, like, I was lying, I guess, before he's going to entertain that, because it, it even looks bad on the UFC's part mm. until we clarify that he wasn't, in fact... Uh, hung over in that fight you know like what does that say about the sport where at the pinnacle of the sport our lads are going in full of wine it's mental um yeah is that actually the argument because i haven't looked into the the specifics of it but um was he literally drunk during the fight is that the argument no he said he had a he had a hangover because um he was trying to go asleep he started off by having a glass of wine then he had half a bottle of wine and he had a full <laughs> bottle of no wine way. i mean I've been there myself, but John I never Jones, man, you know that's John Jones level self sabotage, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah, John Jones well, I mean, said it's... that that that's what he did before the Gus fight, but it was the weekend before, not the night before. That's crazy. Yeah, I think he was on the harder stuff as well, as far as I remember. Yeah, well, so uh, a lot harder stuff and uh, harder physically as well. That's gross. Um. So there was also Chuck Liddell, supposedly, when he fought uh, Couture. But, I mean, this is like 03, the first time they fought. Supposedly, Chuck Liddell was, like, partying super hard the night before they fought. The first time, of course, he lost. That's a rumor. You know, that's, like, one of those things uh, that people have said for a long time. But, you know, who that knows? That worked out well, bro. That worked out super well. Great strategy, <laughs> man. Great, great long-term strategy. <laughs> Um, let me see. People don't seem to be too hot on the till fight. I mean, yeah, I agree with that. He just needs to get a couple solid wins behind him against top five level guys. Oh yeah, like I mean, he doesn't. He, he doesn't. It doesn't make sense at the moment. That's what. That's what I was saying. That was my whole point. Yeah. But the problem is, Izzy and Eugene Berman are both saying that's the fight. I don't think he should get the fight if he beats Marvin Vittori because a one fight win streak doesn't say championship quality to me. Yeah, especially with a loss to Robert Whitaker already in front of you, and especially if Robert Whitaker wins, you know, then it's like, well, you have to give it to that guy. And uh, I do, I do think that there's a bit more in there for Robert Whitaker in terms of strategy. The strategy that he had against <laughs> uh, Izzy, in hindsight, was bad. Uh, you could say uh, 
you know, obviously it's easy for me to say that, but I think he would say that too. He had this rushing in style, thought he could, you know, just kind of catch him with some blitzes, but that played perfectly into Izzy's style is what I think. I think there's a more um, capable version of Robert Whitaker that could potentially go in there. So, I mean, it's not like I'm crazy hyped for that fight, but it's probably the most interesting one if he manages to get another win going. So, Did you see in the third round of Blahovich v. Adesanya, he had a similar moment. Do you know the KO to Whitaker? Uh, how it happens during this crazy fray? And it's like his body is twisting around and he throws mm. the hook. And it's like his whole upper body is swinging its momentum into his opponent. He had huh. a moment like that against Jan in the third round. And I swear to God, it's one of the most unique looking things. It's only it only lasts like a couple of seconds, but he looks like a wizard casting a spell or something. Joe, like <laughs> when you see it in films, they're all whipping around with their wand and stuff. I think that's amazing, man. I, like that was my most fearful moment for uh, Jan Blahovich in the fight. It's it's such a bizarre looking thing that he that he, I've only ever seen him do. Mm. Um, but yeah, like I was at the fight in Melbourne, and I can remember thinking watching it. That Whitaker, whatever angle I was at, like I was down in my laptop looking up, I, I thought that Whitaker gave a way better account of himself in the first round than he did. Mm. That's how like minuscule that the measurements were in that fight. And then when I went back and watched it, I was like, oh, holy shit, Izzy, Izzy kind of had his way with him here in the Ooh. first. Now, I still thought Izzy won the round, but I thought it was far more competitive because I was watching it live and I'm behind a post and I'm looking at my computer. Um, so... Yeah, I just think it's very tough for him or Paolo to make a case for that fight when uh, they ended up on the bad the, the bad side of knockout losses to, to Israel. You know, like, I mean, Whitaker, and I know Izzy says it all the time, he essentially knocked him out twice that night. That's, yeah, that's crazy. he really did. I say we bring Yoel back out, and we have that fight again, exactly how it went out last year. Um, said go no, fight. Said no one ever. Um, yeah, go fight. Uh, well, then, uh, I guess now looking at Jan, then, you know, just kind of working our way up here. I would say for Jan, I've been saying this all week, actually, that I've been counting him out in all of his fights, and I haven't learned my lesson. I think I probably finally have. Like, at this point, I would even pick him against John Jones. Because of MMA math and the way that he beat Reyes, then I think he could take it to Jones. Um, and maybe I'm just making too far, you know, I'm overcorrecting the opposite way. But I would even pick him against Jones at this point. I would pick him against, uh, you know, Glover, which looks to be the next fight, which seems pretty reasonable. I don't know, what, what is your take? So if he fights Glover, first off, let's just jump right to that one. Does he beat Glover? Yeah, I think he does. Like, I, to be fair, I picked... I picked uh, Blahovich against Rockhold, and I picked him against uh, Dominic Reyes. Not that I knew wow. 100% or anything like Going that. Going for it. But I will say that it's a different story when you've got a lot of expectation on you, like international expectation. Mm. Like he said it himself, he is very comfortable as the underdog. But he's just bet the biggest star in the UFC. He's beaten Israel Adesanya. So I think... It, like, he will be favored, I'd say, going in against Glover, despite what Glover's done and looked fantastic yeah. doing. That does change the dynamic. Yeah. Like, there's a new expectation on you. It's not like you're going in to upset the apple cart. Mm. You're going in to underline how great you are now. And I'm looking forward to see how he deals with that because it is a shift in dynamic, no matter what way you look at it. It's crazy how that does seem to be a thing for people. Michael Chandler even said that when he was in Bellator, how tough it was to train for some of these, you know, names that were lesser known mm -hmm. that he didn't even necessarily know before he fought them and how difficult that was for him. He's pretty open about that. 
And then you see somebody like Amanda Nunes, who's just like, yeah, I'm a minus 1250 underdog against Megan Anderson, and I'm just going to put her away like those were the correct odds. Like, it should have been twice that. You know, it's like it just – for some people, that just doesn't affect them whatsoever. Um, it's pretty phenomenal to see that. I don't know. But it's also Amanda's had the time to get used to being someone who people consider great. Like, she's had some mm. fights that haven't set the world on fire. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, it's like Jan hasn't actually been in that territory yet where everyone's like, here he is, the great Jan Blahovich. Nobody can beat this dude. <laughs> Who's this Glover to share a lad? And then, you know, I, I can't help but feel like that is a, a big shift in dynamic. Like, look, I think I think Glover and Jan right now is a pick and fight. But hmm. after a fight like that, I, I just can't see Jan going in and not being the favorite. Yeah, yeah. Well, even GSP to go to that point, though, you know, people do who do have that unbeatable, invincible aura, him at his height, he was still second-guessing himself. Uh, he still had that going on for him where he was struggling to find motivation. And, you know, he he, he basically learned that from the Matt Serra fight, but still struggled with it going forward and found it difficult to train. Found it difficult to, like, ah, I'm going to fight this guy. I should be able to beat him everywhere. You know, like... That's the thing. He doesn't say that in interviews, but he's basically saying it in that sentence. You know what I mean? Like, he's finding it harder to train because he feels he'll already win. I mean, that's what he's basically saying. It's an interesting one. should have one. got a super yacht to, to bring to fights yeah. with him. Like, that would have helped him settle down quite a bit. He could get his USADA test there. You know, he could get everything squared away there because uh, it worked out real well for Connor. Um, <laughs> well, cool. Just jumping in the chat here. Uh, El Lalia, if Nunez wins the Shevchenko trilogy, will she retire or will she continue till she loses both titles passing the torch? Ooh, that's a tough one. She could retire literally right now. Like, and everybody would be like, yeah, there's nothing else for her to do. She could do that right now. So I don't know. Um, on this motivation issue. I don't know, like, what keeps you motivated? Some people are just violent, dude. <laughs> like, she's just like, I just want to hit somebody in the fucking face. And uh, I'm getting paid for it, so that's cool, too. I'm down with it. But this is, like, the the happiest we've seen, Amanda. Like, I mean, I, I don't think it's even an argument. Throughout fight week, post-fight, pre-fight, any way you look at it, mm -hmm. I've never seen her um, so happy and so joyful and and I guess when, when she became a mother, everyone was kind of going, oh, well, maybe she's going to want to spend more time for the kid with the kid as opposed to fighting. But it really seems to me that she's fighting for the kid now. And that's going to really work out well for all MMA fans because mm. how do you not love watching Amanda Nunes go to work? Like, that was crazy last night. Like, that is yeah, legitimately yeah. the best featherweight contender the UFC have there in Megan Anderson. And that's what happens when you go into the blender with Amanda Nunes. Like, she... Like, I think this is all good stuff for us. Um, you know, some of our fights, some of our previous fights haven't set the world on fire. This is the Amanda Nunes we want to see. And for that reason, I can't wait to see what's next. I mean, she can only yeah. fight who they put in front of her. You know, that that's the, rea the, re the reality of the situation. And the UFC are going to have to really flex their muscles now and, and do their job to find compelling matchups because she's closing in on Anderson Silva's consecutive win record, and I expect her to beat it. It's literally unprecedented. Like... I think for a time there, Anderson Silva had that feeling. Mighty Mouse had that feeling. But to do it in two divisions at the same time, and yes, one of them is just absolutely underwhelming in there's terms exactly of... two people in it. Yeah, there's exactly two people in it. But um, the Cyborg win, I think, is the part of it. It's like, well, 
might as well have been a whole division trying to beat Cyborg because like you go back and you look all the way until that first fight that she had where she did lose. She got subbed at, and after she was dominating somebody. It kind of looked like the Brock Lesnar Frank Mir one fight where it was like, oh man, Frank Mir's getting tooled up here. And then he caught, uh, you know, Brock. So it was kind of like that in Cyborg's first fight. And so all you ever saw from her was just sheer violence, dominance, not even close. Um, and, uh, yeah, Amanda killed her. <laughs> like, Can I Amanda killed that woman. Next? Huh. We're talking about the future of 145 here, right? Last night, Megan Anderson goes into a title fight on the last fight of her UFC contract. Mm. If she isn't being does that not say that there is no future for this division? Like, I, I don't know what, what prompted her ending up in this situation. Was it a decision by her management um, to go to the negotiation table, hopefully with a world title? Was it her looking to explore her options? I don't know. But if the UFC are really interested in 145, yeah, it's not a good look to just let the last person who fought for the title leave and not try to keep them. If you're really invested at 145, mm-hmm. how are you going to bleed a new contender at 145? you got to put them in against someone who's who's been there and done it. Yeah. And Megan Anderson is that person. They need to recognize the value in that. Um, I think it's a big tell. If Megan Anderson goes to a different promotion after this, just how invested UFC are in 145, because she's an integral part. If you're a contender for a world title in a division, you should be an integral part of that division. Yeah. Um, and also with the kind of releases that they're doing right now, it doesn't necessarily look very good, you know, with the OLs being let go and, and things like that. And of course, uh, Alistair Overeem, obviously JDS was coming off a massive losing streak, but one weekend you're literally a, a, a main event headliner. The next week you're fired. That's Alistair Overeem's case. Yeah, it's like, it, it literally is just going from one extreme to the other. Um, so yeah, it probably doesn't bode very well for her and it probably doesn't bode w- very well for the division. And at this point, I mean, if they shut it down, would any of us really be sad? Like, would anybody be like, well, they didn't really have a division much, uh, you know, to go off of anyway. And it was really just looking at Amanda and trying to see if they could throw somebody in that blender. Exactly what you were just saying, you know. I don't know, dude. Like, I like the Kayla fight. Um, I, I, like, I think we'd all love to see that. But it's a long way off. And mm. um, it's really, it's really up to them. Can they keep it going? Is there enough talent in the world to keep that division going? Yeah. It certainly hasn't gone the way they wanted it to, but the the reality of the situation is Amanda's already got the history, right? We know she's a double champion. We know that she's won those two belts. So in terms of her legacy, that's that's t- that's wrapped up for me. So um, maybe you put the division on hold until Kayla comes back, but we need to know what the story with it is. You know, it's just a strange, strange thing. It's always been strange. I've never been able to really understand what the plan is. So, you know, uh, like if they if they get rid of it, I don't think it's the end of the world realistically. But I think it, sh- it should be Amanda Nunes' decision as well as, as the champion of the division. Cool. Well, I think that about wraps it up. Uh, we've already gone a little bit longer than I anticipated to go. I just kind of realized how long we've been going on here. Um yeah, I uh, really appreciate everybody who's joined us. Everybody that is like wanted the longer form version, this is really a love letter to you guys. We're also doing the condensed version on the main channel, really trying to kind of please both sides of this. And really, it's just good to hang out 
with uh, my boy PT here and hang out with Lawton here, do these uh, things and uh, involve everyone with it. So really appreciate you guys for joining us. Um, we will see this on the podcast version. So if somebody's tuning in late and just wants to listen to it while they're on a jog, whatever they're doing, you will see it go up on our podcast platform. So thanks so much to everybody for joining us. And we will see you on the next video. So peace out, guys.